All right, as I said just a second ago, we are, after tonight, we'll be halfway, so we're gonna do, uh, we're gonna do both, I think, the two witnesses and the seventh trumpet tonight. And, and, and so here's where we're at. Um, we, we, I've talked about this so often, and, and that how do you read this book? How do you understand it? Uh, somebody asked me this week, secondhand, uh, somebody come up and asked me, said, so-and-so said they listen to you every Wednesday night, and they still don't know where you stand. And I was like, well, that means I'm doing a good job. Uh, I'm, I'm really not trying to paint uh, a picture on how I am dogmatic on some of this stuff because I do believe there are some instances where this is literal and some are idealistic. I believe some probably have happened. I believe some are futuristic. Um, and so I, I'm leaning toward uh, symbolism and idealism and a lot of things and tonight is probably one of those in this chapter but it doesn't mean I'm the idealistic in, in every everything we do I'm the historist I believe in a lot of things I believe some of it's already happened or, or is happening now uh, and I do believe definitely some of it's futuristic so what's going on is is, is this tribulation um, and we're, we're in the midst of it here, or John's vision. The question is that people have, when is it? Is it going on now? Has it already went on? Uh, are we in the middle of it? Are we near the end of it? Or is this a future event? And, um, and then in, inside that, there is this seven years uh, that, that you know, we believe is going to happen. Again, some people say literal or not. I, I tend to... I don't know. I just can't decide on that. I, I tend to believe it, it, that that one might be literal, but I don't know. Um, but inside, this, this is what we've got going on. There's going to be a great judgment from God, and it's going to be released by these seven trumpets, and and the seals are released. And so we, we had the first few, then we had this interlude in there and where we see a couple of great chapters on worship and God the Father and God the Son. And, and then we get back to it. We got back to it actually last week as we started looking at the, the angel and the little scroll. And so now we're going to see the two witnesses. And this is one of the, and then we'll end it with the seventh trumpet. And the two witnesses, and this is some of the toughest <laughs> in the entire book for us to really figure out. So let's just, let's just hop into it. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. And I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So here we see this 42 months is going to be that, that half of that seven years. We, we see that. Um, that, that one's not too tough for us. The clothes and sackcloth is, is actually pretty easy. That was a sign of grieving in the Old Testament. You don't see people do it today. Nobody goes to a celebration of life service, at least in America, and has sackcloth on. Uh, but that that's, was a sign of grieving then. So we, we go back uh, to the first, and there is, a, and we put it in our notes here, there is a measurement. Now, when God talks about measurements in the Bible, there is 
a couple of ways of doing it. It can be a specific literal measurement, as in we're measuring something as we, we get uh, numbers throughout the Bible for some of that. And then sometimes it's God's judgment, as we, we see with the prophets there. So, you know, we don't know there, the word that is used there, and I, I put it in there, uh, Kalamos. Uh, it's, a, it's a common read there in Israel around the Jordan uh, River Valley shameless plug if you go with us next year you'll get to see some of that uh, I know you're, you're going to want to go uh, all over the world and spend several thousand dollars and fly 10 hours just to prove you know that there's read really here that's not the main reason you go I know but uh, we can let you see that if you decide to go next year so then he goes on to talk about the temple and that's the big thing here that's really the big issue in this first um, paragraph here is this temple literal or is it symbolic is it spiritual and it, it brings about a lot of disagreements most people very few people would say John you got to remember John is caught up in this uh, is there a light going crazy okay I'm sorry my I, you know I know everybody claims ADHD Mandy will tell you I really am it doesn't take much for me to get distracted so I'm sorry um I was just making sure nothing was coming after me, to be honest. I can live with that. Um, so most people agree it's not the first temple because we know it was destroyed around 586 B.C. Uh, oh, I know where I was going with that. John, again, at, at the island of Patmos, was caught up in this vision. The angel said, hey, you're going to write down what Jesus shows you. And <laughs> John, I believe, was caught up, kind of like Paul said, in this second heaven and he was caught up in a trance, and so he saw things, and then John transcribed it and, and wrote these things down. So did he, and the, and the question even begs a little further, did he see this specifically? Like, did he see a temple? Did he see scorpions? Did he see horses that are this big? Or did he see something like that, and this is the way he describes it? So that gets a little more into it, into, again, how you interpret it, how you believe as well. But we know this, that the word here is used, and I, and I put it down, uh, and I don't know where I put it, uh, but the, the word here is, is for spiritual. I think it's in the temple part. It may be in that next one. So some, some of the people, some of the commentators say that this is definitely a spiritual sense, that it's not a literal temple. Now, other trustworthy commentators say no it very well could be but they agree that it's most of them agree it's not the first temple now the second temple was destroyed in 70 AD and if John wrote this around 95 that's only 25 years later so it would be most of you in here uh, let's say something happened 25 years ago I don't know when that would be whatever it is 1998 most of you could flash back and remember uh, hey I remember what that looked like it would be if especially the ones that went to the old church, our old church building would say, how oh, I remember what that church looked like. And so it could very well be the picture of, of the second temple there. We don't know. Now, some say that this is a heavenly temple and you you have to go read this when you get home tonight, Ezekiel's chapter 40 through 48. And uh, the futurists that read this will see this as a temple built during the millennium. Now, it's, it's a real temple, but it's not even constructed yet. And that's what John is seeing here. And then some 
some are going to say it's not literal at all. This is the idealistic view that what John has is seeing here is the church, the universal church. So, I mean, I, I know that's not very confusing, but you, you and, and here's what you say. Well, when we're, you know, leading somebody to Jesus Christ, this is not something we're going to get bogged down in. It's fun to talk about, okay? Fun to discuss, but it's not like when you're talking to somebody, do you believe that you're a sinner? Yes, okay, now let, before we conf confess and repent, let's go back to Revelation 11. The temple, is it literal or is it figurative or idealistic, all right? Because before we go any further, we've got we've got to really nail this down. And so, obviously, we don't know. Now, your notes say, and this, this helps a little bit, in the New Testament, there are two words for temple that heron uh, means entire temple complex, including the Holy of Holies, not Holly of Holies that I put there, uh, women's court and the Gentile court. So that's everything. The naos uh, stood for the Holy of Holies. And and so this one here, the, the usage here, and I didn't put it in there. I'm, I'm almost certain it's that first word, that heron. Well, then the altar comes into debate as well. The altar of incense was a part of the Holy of Holies, as we've talked about in the last few weeks where the, those horns were. And, and some people, you know, talk about that. And then there's the altar of sacrifice. Um, and many, many commentators believe that. But it, that would not be appropriate for the idealistic view because they're seeing this more of, spiritual and it would be church and it's not going to be the Jewish temple. All right. So that's what's going on there. Then it gets even more hairy. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord on earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. So there's two olive trees. All right. And they, they, they are two lampstands. And if anybody tries to harm them, it's not going to go well. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beasts that rise from the bottomless pit who will make war on them and conquer them and kill them and their dead bodies will lie in the street on the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified for three and a half days. Some from the people and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and a great fear fell over those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and the tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Now, that's, that's quite a mouthful there. What, what in the world's going on? Well, you can go to Zechariah 4. I don't know that I have time to... To read all that so I'm just going to let you to be honest read all of that and there, there are some 
excuse me, some, some differences here, but some very close parallels in Zechariah 4. Both have uh, two life trees, they're olive trees. Um, both uh, Zechariah has a sevenfold lampstand, whereas in Revelation it has two. In Zechariah, the two seem, seem to be Zerubbabel and Joshua, and uh, because Zerubbabel was ruling and Joshua was the priest. And some think these are the same two in Revelation. Now, um, what's going on here? What, what are these witnesses? As you go back up a little bit there, uh, the, some idealist, idealist will say that the witnesses represent the church. Okay, that's, that's, uh, that's people that read this symbolically, completely symbolically or at least mostly symbolically. Uh, so they would say these two are representing the church. The hist historist view would say these are actual people, such as the Turks, possibly, that have brought judgment. And a third view, um, which is also idealistic, is that it's the Old Testament and the New Testament, the prophets and the law. Now, then, then the views get a little... The other views, those are three. The other views get more into their actual people. Um, they're all futurist views, and they all have, uh, as you see in the notes there, they have real witnesses, and they are living and present during the tribulation, but that's all they have in common. All right? And I've already read you that one about Zechariah, where they think it could be Zerubbabel and Joshua. The next view is that they're Enoch and Elijah. You say, why in the world would it be Enoch and Elijah? Well, the, this view is because they didn't die on earth and God's sending them back. It, I don't know. It's, it's not mine, and, and we could poke some holes in that. If you, if you nailed me down to something other than the idealistic view on this one, this is where I tend to really be idealistic in chapter 11. If you nail me down, I, I like this next one, all right? And that is Moses and Elijah. Um, and it's, it's probably the most popular under the futurists. Now, what did Elijah do? Do y'all remember? I know we're online, but y'all can talk. What did Elijah pray? Yeah, he prayed for a drought, prayed that it would not rain. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. They have the power over what was one of the plagues of, that Moses put on Egypt. He turned that water to blood. They have power over the waters to turn them into blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Now, if you had to pin me down, other than the idealistic view, I'm probably more idealistic on this, but I don't know. This very well could be Moses and Elijah. I think it'd be cool if it was, just to be honest. Because uh, Elijah's, you know, he doesn't seem to take a lot off people. And then, then the last view is that they cannot be identified at all. You know, I, I can definitely live with that view as well. Uh, whoever the, the two are, they are signed by God, um, and their message is resisted. So what happened when they were resisted? They were, they were killed halfway through this. So this is where that seven, you got seven years, and here you got seven days and three and a half days. God puts breath back into them, and they come back. Uh, well, their message was resisted. God gives them life. After three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven a cloud, and their enemies watched them. 
And at that hour, there was a great earthquake. So God restores them. But before that, before that, they were, they were, they were hung outside on the tree. We're not going to really get into the beast because we got into the abyss last week. But it says there's going to be a beast rise from the bottomless. And they will make war on them. They will conquer them and kill them. Um, is that Satan and his army uh, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. We're going to come right back to that where the Lord was crucified for three and a half days and some for the tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. you got to go back to Deuteronomy. Remember we talk about that passage all the time with Jesus. Cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree and so here these people are and they're hung on a, they're hung outside, and they won't let their dead bodies go into a tomb. Now it's interesting. It's it's interesting. This part is why would why would God allow this to happen? Because judgments come, but His people are killed again. Evil thinks it's going to prevail here, but it doesn't. So let's go back to that city there. Uh, this one's a little easier for us, but the names it's it's still fun to look at. It's uh, this great city that is called Sodom and Egypt. Well, and, and there are some people um, that, that like to try to figure this out as something different. I, I like how the ESV uh, translated this um, comma where the Lord was crucified. Their Lord was crucified. I, I'm, I'm in the camp that they're talking about Jerusalem here because this is where Jesus was crucified. Why would they call it Sodom in Egypt? Sodom uh, was a, a obviously sexually depraved, and Egypt was out of the, the land of slavery. So it kind of combines, you know, those, those vices, that evilness of what would be going on in the world at the time. And so we have the intersection there of Sodom and Egypt, and, and that's where all this has happened. So John sees the temple, all right? And he's talking about this measuring rod here, how God's going to measure them. And then when he sees it, and this is why I think, again, it's kind of symbolic because I, I believe God's talking about his judgment here. And when he's talking about the measurement, I don't think the temple is necessarily a temple. Again, I, I may be wrong. I, I think John's seeing this. And then we see the two witnesses come down. Now, now again, they could be angels. We don't know. I mean, but... I, I, I like the Moses Elijah theory. I don't know if it's right or not. So they come down. You're like, well, God lets them get killed. And he does restore them to life after they bring this great judgment on them. Excuse me. <coughs> I'm sorry. I would say that's unprofessional, but I couldn't help it. All right. So let's, let's go to the last thing here because we're, we're about to run out of time. And I, I think this will be interesting to you. So then the angel, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. So now we see this transitioning, you know, the other trumpets are bringing about these, these woes and these judgments. And now they're, they're saying, hey, this is it. Christ will reign. And the 24 elders who sat or sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, and who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for, your, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both great and small, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. 
Then God's temple in heaven was opened. Now, again, is, is it a real physical temple or not? And the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and earthquake and heavy hail. You see that passage a lot in Revelation, which is why that's called Revelation Song. Um, you want to chase rabbit hole, go search the ark and where it's at. Our, our guide last year, jokingly, I think he was joking, I don't know. Actually, he wasn't joking, but he never told us where. He says he knows where the ark is. I, I don't know if he really believes that or not. Uh, and he may. Who knows? Maybe God's give him some special revelation. Well, what was the ark? The ark goes back, obviously, to the, the conquering time. The ark represented God's promises is the big thing. And remember, somehow, miraculously, this budding um, uh, Aaron's staff stayed in there, and they kept some manna in there. And all this was to symbolize God's promises. Well, before the conquering of the temple there in 586, or the city, um, by Nebuchadnezzar, um, the ark's gone. Now, some people say Jeremiah hid it in Mount Zion area. Some people said he hid it in the Dead Sea Scrolls area. And the Ethiopian Christians claim today that they have it and they know where it is. Some of them do, and they're not going to tell us. Some people say it's in the Vatican and only 10 people know where it is. I, I don't know. I, I mean... Uh, it'd be hard. Like if I knew where the ark was, it'd be killing me not to tell somebody. So uh, those 10 people are a lot better at that than I am. Now, like, I can keep a secret, but I don't know if I could keep that one. Um, and so, I mean, the bottom line is, I say this, I don't think we know. Um, and we don't want to get too bogged down in that because, again, and, and some people do. They want to talk about the ark. And, and there's a good movie with Harrison Ford in it, obviously, uh, about the lost ark and all that stuff. And it is fun to talk about. Um, and, you, I mean, you read the Old Testament, and David touched it. And that guy touched it and died, Uzziah. Uh, so it, it symbolized God's promise and God's presence in, in the Old Testament there. So it says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. Well, what is this? Um, and, and by the way, the ark was kept in the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go, could only go once a year. And that was where the presence of God was and the ark symbolized the promise of God. So as we look at this, let me make sure I didn't say anything too important on, on the back. Uh, the, all, all I'll say there is the idealist. Idealist, uh, idealist will say the, te the temples because we're going to get another temple in chapter 21. And they're like, okay, you can't have one without the other. We'll say they're not literal. So back up real quick because I'm, I'm running out of time. Um, you've, got, you've got the Holy of Holies that symbolizes God's presence. And then you've got the Ark that symbolizes God's promises. So when the sky is open, God's temple in heaven was opened. And the Ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. So this is, this is where I, I go on this one, is that we, they, all they're doing is they're seeing the presence of God and the promises of God. And it's so majestic. God's power is so majestic that there were flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and an earthquake and heavy hail. Now, we, we don't know 
what it's like to be in the presence of God in that sense. And we will one day. Um, and so I, I believe this, as, as I say, I, I'm still a little bit of a, I guess, I don't know what you'd call me, a, a smorgasbord or whatever. Uh, I do believe some of this stuff is literal, but I believe in this. I believe John's point. I really do. I believe John's point is to get across to us God's majesty and God's power and, and, and just how worthy of worship Jesus is and how God the Father is. And, and it's something that we can't fathom. And you go to 2 Corinthians on that and uh, what God has in store for those who love him, we can't possibly fathom. Is it, you know, dad's always said that, you know, talk about is it, is it literal streets of gold? Probably not. I mean, it could be, but probably not. Probably not, you know, all these scorpion horse things that he's seeing. He's just, he's given us this picture so that we can see it. And that's what he's doing here. And that's what he's talking about with the ark. And so what, what we're seeing is it's about to really get interesting for y'all, all right? So we're gonna see the woman and the dragon next week. And we're gonna see Satan thrown down to earth. And all of you that get into all the angel stuff and the good angels and bad angels and the war, it's going to get really interesting for you. So we're at the halfway point. Look, nothing happens for by chance either. Even in God's book of Revelation, I know he didn't have John number it, but this this halfway point is pretty big because now we're about to. It's it's about to really get. It's kind of like the, the apex here. It's really building. And it's going to all start to make sense as we get to the end because we'll see another, we'll, we'll talk about the millennium reign, we'll talk about another temple, we'll, we'll talk about the new Jerusalem and all of that as we go forth. But for now, we've had these seven trumpets. Remember, they're the seven judgments, the seven woes, and they have come out. And so next week, we get into this woman and the dragon. But I want us to leave, I just want us to leave with this. Uh, again, as we looked at last week, we talked about last week, let's, let's not get too bogged down in who are these olive trees and you know is it a literal temple or is it a physical temple is the ark i wonder what's in the ark is is that is, is aaron's rod still budding in there and because if we do we can miss it what we can miss is god's promise and god's presence and those are still real in our lives today uh, we have the presence of god through the holy spirit here on this earth and we have his promises to rely on just like we talked about the rainbow last week and so I don't want us to miss that. Absolutely nothing wrong with us looking into this. But we have all of this to look forward to. We have this to look forward to not only now as we live it, but in the future that we get to live in the presence of God for all of eternity if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. All right? I quit on time tonight. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being good to us. Thank you that your word does not return void. And um, these passages are tough to... Uh, to understand and and I readily admit I don't understand all of it I don't know everything I don't I don't know if it was Moses and Elijah I don't know if it was angels I don't know uh, if they're unidentified for a reason I don't know if it's a literal temple or a, a symbolic temple if it was spiritual I don't know if that was the actual ark or if that was uh, a spiritual thing father what we do know is uh, I believe all this stuff's going to happen. I believe that there's going to be a time, and it may be going on now. I believe there's there's going to be a great battle because I believe good and evil cannot coexist. 
And I believe that, that this world is full of evilness and full of uh, fallen people. But I do believe that your word is going to prevail. I believe that you're going to prevail. And I believe ultimately you will be victorious. And all this stuff will be taken care of. So all we can do is put our faith and trust in you. We don't have to have the answers. We just have to know the end result. And that's all we go on, Father. And we thank you for that. You are worthy of our praise. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. What a joy it is to be your pastor.